I always like when they sing that song about Mount Zion, we've come to Mount Zion, that, that passage of Scripture in Hebrews 12, that's really, it, Hebrews itself is just so profoundly mystical. Nobody knows who wrote it, but there's theories, but the reality of what Hebrews 12 is talking about, coming into this religion, so to speak, and, and, and this differentiation between like Jacob and Esau, the twins, one whose heart was after the things of the Lord, the thing he valued that eternal inheritance so much that he, he kind of played a trick. And well, he really fair and square bought it for some stew, in my opinion, but he stepped into something. And, and Hebrews 12 is actually talking about don't walk through this Christian life with this carnal mentality that you're in a systematic religion, you know. And it goes on to literally say, you've actually come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the things they sung about, the innumerable hosts of the angels. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, it's, it goes on to talk about God's voice, which shakes, and that everything can be shaken, but the things that which are eternal will remain. And that we as Christians have the ability to be led by this voice in this mystical walk, which is just practical Christianity, and build our life on the eternal words of the Lord in such a way that no matter the shaking that happens in the earth, we stand flat-footed above it, you know. There, there, there's something different. And it's never been a ritual. You know, she was mentioning communion. We, we take communion every week, like a group of us, and, um, you know, 20 or so, 15, 20, 25 of us, whoever's here. And there's something about that. 1 Corinthians 11, it's the same thing with the Apostle Paul saying, hey, this, this, this is not a ritual. It's become a ritual in a religious thing, hoop that we jump through, this, this bread and this wine, so to speak. But it was never intended to be this. You know, the Apostle Paul literally says Jesus actually came to him because Paul was a good bit, you know, younger than all the other disciples, maybe not John, but, you know, Jesus had already been crucified and resurrected long before he was, when he was still persecuting and killing Christians, you know. But Jesus actually came to Paul in the wilderness and taught him communion, is what it says there in 1 Corinthians 11. I love that. And um, he literally talks about, hey, like, by doing this irreverently, without reverence for what it truly symbolizes, this is why many are weak and sick and die early. And I remember going to church as a kid when they would take communion at the big Baptist church, like the pastor would get up there and he would say, now, now before you take this communion, go and do business with the Lord about your sins because some people take it and die because they ain't right with God. You know what I mean? And that's like, that's the way people talk about communion. But it's really not at all what was written there in 1 Corinthians 11. It's like, he's like saying, hey, like this isn't a ritual, you know. This is, this is symbolic. It is a ritual, but it's, it's, it's symbolic of something that is a reality. And people are entering into sickness and death unrightfully because they're not actually having reverence for what this actually symbolizes. This can be a part of your life. This is what you live. The atonement, the, you know, the resurrection, the blood of Jesus, the body which was broken for you repentance and the remissions of, uh, of sins, you know what I mean? And so both of these, you know, we talk about Hebrews 12, or they sang about it today, and that reality of what communion was, it's like, hey, like, this hasn't become some systematic club that we use to keep our kids safe and huddle up and not be stained by the world, you know what I mean? 
This is, this is a reality of something supernatural and real, a dimension, a realm, heaven itself, which is more real than this plastic temporary place that we've stepped into and no longer are we living by the climates of the earth. We are actually changing them. This is not a climate change message, but what I'm saying is like we are actually having an influence over this fallen realm and bringing it back to the future. That's the point of the deal. And it's this, it's this two, um, I don't want to say corresponding, but these two thi- um, wisdoms, if you will, if you will. Two, two versions of wisdom, and only one is real wisdom. And it's the wisdom that's from above. I like that. Uh, James, since I'm right there on Hebrews 12, James is, you know, do you know James is, is Jesus' half-brother? He calls himself a bondservant of God and, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's actually the, the little brother of the Lord Jesus Christ as well, or half of it. You know, he's, he's Mary and Joseph's son, uh, which I think is really cool because, we, you know, in James 1, he says, he says literally like, there is no shadow or turning in him. You know, he says, God is who God is. He is fully and altogether light. He's not this bipolar deal. And James knew because he grew up with him his entire life. He never saw anything different out of his big brother. I don't know. So, but anyhow, but there's something about this wisdom, and I've always done this when I've done teaching messages about the gift of teaching and stuff like that. I've always said James 3 and John 3 are the, are the messages of what a teacher is supposed to be and, and, or not to be. But James 3 starts off and he says some things. He says, My brethren, not, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall, re- we, we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone doesn't stumble in word, he's perfect, which means mature, and he's able to bridle his whole body. And he's, he's talking to teachers, but he's actually starting to confront in this chapter in James, James 3 what the wisdom of heaven looks like versus what the wisdom of the earth looks like. And how like, hey, these are not the same thing. And so he starts off like, not... Don't let a lot of you become teachers uh, knowing that they receive a stricter judgment. And that's not like, don't, we don't want to teach or we don't want to proclaim things. It's just like, it's like hey, if, 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 you, if you want to wear a black belt, you will have to fight black belts. You know, don't proclaim yourself something that you're not. And, and, and he's just like, because we all stumble in many ways, man. It's easy to stumble. It's hard to be perfect. You have to tame the tongue. And if you have to speak a lot and talk a lot, you know, the, the odds are, you know, things can go sideways. But he goes down and he talks about taming the tongue and he goes down in verse 13, says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in meekness and in wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly and sensual and demonic. For envy and self-seeking exist, confusing Confusion and every evil thing are there. It's interesting. Then he contrasts and he says, But the wisdom that is from above is pure and peaceable and willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And he's, he's dividing something that I feel like we have a lot in the world of right now. He's dividing the teachers and associating the teachers or the wisdom that is from above versus the one that is actually from below. And one is led of the Spirit and it's full of good fruits and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make righteousness, by by those who make peace. 
without hypocrisy. But the wisdom that is earthly and sensual demonic is the practical wisdom of the world. Earthly and sensual and demonic. And it's rooted in things like selfish ambition and envy. It's rooted by many voices are rooted and, and, and they, they teach or they speak or we, or we proclaim things out of actually wanting attention for selfish desires. But James is very much dividing the line between that which is from heaven and that which is from the earth. And one bears good fruit, but one also looks completely backwards to the ways of the world. Right? And so Jesus, I want to examine some of his life today, how he comes and he teaches his disciples in a way that, that he almost looks like the worst teacher you've ever heard of until his methods work every single time. And um, Colossians 4 says, it's Colossians 4, 5 says, walk in wisdom. There's our word again. Maybe that's what the title will be. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. Colossians 4. So there's this exhortation in the book of Colossians, written by Paul here, that says we're called to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, people that don't understand the ways of the Lord. Redeeming the time, another really um, interesting Kind of, it kind of seems, sounds like some sort of like, I don't know, like a Jedi quote or something like that. Redeeming the time. Let your, let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you'll know how to answer each one. There's this theme, and I feel it for our house today, as we're coming into a time that I feel like, even with everything that's swirling around in the world right now, and even in our region, especially if you have kids that are in school, which I do. Oh man, I do in three days, I do. I cannot wait for this by the way. Um, but it's like, there's so much. Does anybody have that neighborhood app? Man, that thing is getting hot right now about the vaccine, just about everything. It's like, oh man, about kids, about schools, about masks. It's just like, oh man, where, where's the voice of wisdom versus the, you know, I, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to kind of differentiate right now, you know. But one thing that I can see is there's such an atmosphere of, of fear which is not the good fruits of wisdom. And timidity, you know, and sketchiness. And, and in my mind, I, I feel an, a sense of faith, which is the opposite of fear, which is like, man, this is our time to really redeem time. Really, to really make the most out of this time. I'm not talking about making signs and picketing which one you like, the mask or not, or whatever. I'm not talking about these things. MAGA, no. Not, none of these things. What I'm saying, this, is... Redeeming time is understanding the atmosphere of the world, but not being in it, but not being of it. Yeah. And having the wisdom of heaven that has the words that are fitting in due season to everyone we encounter and in every scenario we encounter. The ability to speak what, you know, 1 Corinthians 14 sa says is prophecy, edification, exhortation, and comfort, the positive forecasts and the encouragement to all those that we encounter in this life and in this walk. Because, man, when somebody is fearful, they are vulnerable. And vulnerable to me just means open and transparent. And I feel like we are in such a great time to truly be a light. Not to push a political agenda. I'm not talking about these things. I'm talking about to be a light that speaks into the lives and hearts of people that we encounter in this time and season. 
You know, because as somebody that's kind of in charge of a crowd of people that meets and you start thinking, are we going to have lockdowns? Are we going to have not? Or, you know, what's going to be imposed? You're kind of starting to think this way. Are they going to shut things down? And, and the, the answer is like, you know, it doesn't really matter what happens. You know, everything is good for us. Anything that happens is good. I don't think we will. But it's like the words of life and light that come from every believer. Isaiah 59, my words will be in your mouth from this time forevermore. Like that reality of planning heaven will never go away. And any opportunity of shaking will, will, will give us, that Hebrews 12, that opportunity to manifest the kingdom which doesn't shake. You know. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Literally redeeming the time. You know, there's this... We're called to walk differently than the world, you know, not because we don't cut our hair or wear makeup, girls, wear pants, I mean, wear long, you know, it's not, not because we conform to some weird, you know, nobody caught that, that's, that's people think that, you know, not because we're this way, but, but because always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you, not because we argue with people, because we should be held accountable for why are you so hopeful? Why do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Why do you have a positive outlook right now? Why are you at peace? Be ready to be held accountable for how much of God is coming out of you and be ready to share why that is. But I thought that's about arguing with people. Nah. Mm -mm. No, but, but imagine walking around so whole that what we do seems backwards, but it bears fruit. We'd be like the firstborn of many brethren. You know what I mean? We'd be like him. There's a saying, when, when God led Israel out of Egypt, um, did he lead Israel out of Egypt or did he, did he lead Egypt out of Israel? You know what I mean? And it's like, it's kind of this play because we know in, in the history, God obviously, you know, all the plagues and all the stuff and let my people go and the Red Sea parts. It's just this miraculous, incredible story through Exodus. But it's like, we understand God broke the people out of, of Egypt. But the wilderness walk, which is the Christian walk, was actually stripping Egypt out of the mind of Israel. The, the world powerhouse, the way of the system, the wisdom of this world, if we will, and imparting the wisdom of heaven to them. I mean, everywhere he took them. A cloud by day covered them, a fire a pillar of fire covered them over the night. You know, they were always covered. The climate and the atmosphere of Israel in the wilderness was not the climate and atmosphere of the wilderness, per se. You know what I mean? Under the cloud, under the pillar, it was a, it was a different vibe. It was a different place. The shoes, the soles on their feet did not wear out in the wilderness. You dig? It's, it's like they had manna, Exodus 16, would fall out of heaven and they would eat the bread of angels every day. It was a different place even though it was in the wilderness, you know. And so Jesus actually embodies this, and he leads his disciples. And maybe we'll just, if you've been here a while, or maybe you're a podcast listener or whatever, it's like we've kind of been talking this specific story about Jesus, and most people call it the Legion story. We call it Legion Clarence around here for some reason. But, um, you know, where he, he, he takes his disciples across the sea, and they almost die, and they freak out because he's asleep. He gets up and rebukes the, rebukes the wind and the waves. He gets up and now a demoniac, they called legion, full of thousands of demons, has a crash course with the Lord, 
which he cast those things out into some pigs. Everyone's freaking out. He agrees to go back to the other side of the lake. You know, he's constantly doing these miraculous things, and the disciples are in a position, in a crash course position, just like Israel. They're being led around by God, Yahweh, the shepherd himself. Which, by the way, you know, Jesus' other brother named Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, is a, a half-brother, right? You know what I mean? Joseph's son, Joseph Mary's son. Jude literally says that it was Jesus that led Israel out of Egypt. And I know people have a problem with that. Well, Jesus wasn't born, you know? You know, it's like, yeah. It, but Jude specifically, just like James was doing, he's shattering this bipolar image of who God is. And in the early translations of Jude, and most of your King James Bibles will have a little asterisk by it when it says the Lord. It's talking about the Lord Jesus led them out of Egypt. Like, these guys associated their brother, not as their brother, but as Yahweh in the flesh. You know what I mean? And that's the way it was originally written. I mean, most of your Bibles, unless you have like, I don't know, like NIV or something like that. I mean, who messes with those anymore, right? You know, come on. But it's one of those deals like, this, this is Yahweh walking around with his disciples who didn't know who he was. Not fully. Nobody did. If the rulers of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory, it says, right? First Corinthians 2. So it's like, here he is walking with his disciples in deserted places constantly and doing things that seemed probably so unconventional and, and even unwise on a constant basis. And so he gets back, you know, we've, I think, I don't know if that was last week or the week before, you know, he gets back and he's done. He's casted out legion. He's, he's, he's calmed storms. He's done all these different things. You know, John the Baptist, his cousin, the forerunner, the greatest prophet of all time, is, is killed, gets his head cut off. And I think I'm going to start just in Mark 6, 47. We'll do this kind of like a little bit of a Bible study just for a few minutes and then before we close. But he says, um, he tells the disciples, because things have been really cranking, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place. The de you know, deserted, you know, the wilderness. For there were many coming and going, and they, and they didn't have enough time to eat. So they departed, because they hadn't even eaten themselves. And, and, and they, they went by boat, but the multitudes actually saw, saw them and actually tracked them down to where he was. It says in verse 34 of Mark 6, Jesus had compassion for this big crowd that was coming after him, because he saw that they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So like... Hey, let's get out of here. We haven't even had time to eat the Legion debacle. Like, then we're stepping into all this stuff. You know, you heard some of the, the centurion, you know, um, or the synagogue ruler and the 12-year-old daughter. That was cool. That was a good one, actually. I just remember that. 12-year-old daughter, uh, the lady with the issue of blood. All this stuff has just been packed into happening right after Legion, Clarence. You know, all this stuff has happened after Clarence's story. So bang, 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 bang. And it's like, yo, the crowds are getting just, it's too swarmish. Let's get out of town. Let's go to the wilderness. And let's have some food and stuff like that for ourselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is nuts. And so when they get there, the people tracked him down. And when he looks out and he sees them, he doesn't say like, golly, I can't get rid of you guys. I need to eat. He said, it says that he had compassion over them. He sees them and he's like, oh, we got to feed these people. So it says the day was now far spent and his disciples came to him and said, hey, this is a deserted place that... that word is many times in this chapter we're in the wilderness this is a deserted place like the hour's late send them away to their surrounding cities and villages man you just got a little bit of time let's get them out there to get the, get some food and he says something that's very strange he says you give them something to eat 
and they're like, uh, you know, 200 denarii worth of bread, you know, give them something to eat. Like, what are you talking about? We don't got that much money. And he says, hey, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. They found there were five and two fish. And he says he commanded them and all the, um, them all to sit down in groups on the grass. They sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. So the disciples are involved with what's going on here. They got everybody sitting down on the grass. And um, here you have Psalm 23, right? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. You know, he, here you have the shepherd actually having all the sheep kind of section out in a way. He's got a disciple, you know, the apostle guys actually helping people get settled down where they're supposed to get. So they're, they're partnering with something by faith just by being obedient to what he's saying. That is profoundly supernatural that's about to happen but they don't even know it. They're just being obedient to him. Imagine that. So, um, you know, he looks up to heaven. He, he actually gives thanks for them. He looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to, to them and his disciples. He gave them, to, gave them to his disciples, sorry, to set before them and the two fish he divided among them all. I was like, man, how do you divide two fish? That's one and one, you know what I mean? But maybe they were big, right? And I think the loaves were probably big because they brought it for their, for their team to eat. So they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 people, 5,000 men. That's not including women and children. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And when he sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray to a secret place. So it's interesting. He needs, some, he needs a little bit of, a, of space from these folks and he doesn't really get it so what he does is he feeds them and once they're all settled down eating he says all right guys go ahead and and and, and cross over i want you to go over to the other side to Bethsaida is is was the instruction and um he goes up to pray by himself before he meets them so it's interesting here is the god of the wilderness the deserted place, multiplying and giving food out of nowhere. And here is the apostles. Uh, there's so many different commentaries on this of how this actually happened, but taking the food and sectioning and, and dividing it themselves. They're like the conduits of this miracle. They're, they're a part of it, you know what I mean? Giving and receiving the stuff. Um, so they're actually out in the middle of the sea. It says... In verse 47, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Jesus was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them about the fourth watch of the night. And so that's interesting, because Jesus is in the middle of the night, standing on the, on, the, on, the, on the shore, and you can't see that far out. But he's actually watching them like, like Yoda or something, like Obi-Wan watching Anakin. You know, he's like, he's, he's watching these guys strain. And I love this because they've just got into the, into the Legion scenario, on the way to Legion, on the way to the Decapolis, right? We talked of this. On the way there, that windstorm arose, which we know is demonic, and was crashing against them to the point like, are, are, we're going to die. They go wake him up. Remember, don't you care that we're going to die? The infamous words to which he gets up and rebukes the thing, right? And so I love that he sees them straining at the oars because the wind was adverse to them. And, um, but what they weren't doing was freaking out, being afraid. And can you imagine these guys on this trip, how many of them were yelling at that storm, trying to do what he did? <laughs> They're fighting that thing like, hey, 
ah, you know what I mean? They, but they weren't giving up. They were pushing hard at that, this adverse wind. Like, not this time, fool. You know what I mean? Something like that. But it was just a storm. So, yeah, so, yeah, so Jesus is actually watching this thing somehow. And um, he saw them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. I love this. It's like, who is this guy? We've heard this thing in our little Sunday school classes, but, let, but let's strip our minds of this reality and see somebody walking across some water. You know. And I love, you know, we always say, the book of Mark is the book of Easter eggs, right? There's so many things like this, but he, he's the only one that says he would have passed them by. And it's a direct quote from Job 9 about Yahweh who walks on the sea and man doesn't know it, he'll walk right by him. There's an actual passage that says that in Job 9. And so it's a little Easter egg saying like this wasn't, this is, this dude was, he was something else. He was human, but this is Yahweh. The only one, it says in Job 9. You can look at that. It's kind of fun to do. But anyhow, they saw him walking across the street across across and they and they started to cry out and immediately he talked with them and said hey it's okay be a, i like some of the other translations in matthew and even in john they start screaming it's a ghost so it make you wonder if they're yelling at that storm and that dude started walking by like they're like oh crap he's coming <laughs> we, t- we told him to stop and now he's walking out at us you know and um you know it says then he went up into the boat you know there, there's you know one story has he calls peter out right but Peter wrote Mark. Well, Mark wrote Mark, but Peter told Mark the stories and Mark wrote them down, right? You know what I mean? So Peter humbly leaves his name out of his, his water walking in his story. So that's nice to see. That's cool. But um, um, it says, Jesus went up into the boat and the wind ceased, and they were amazed. It says, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hard. So they just partnered with something. So we got, well, we got two fish. Like, they didn't even, it wasn't even like, how's this working? I don't know, man, get to, you know what I mean? It's just like they were in such a busy track that they haven't understand, they haven't understood the first storm, legion, uh, synagogue, 12-year-old daughter girl, the lady with the issue of blood. Like this is all happening in, in, in like one little string of stuff. Then 5,000 people, which is probably more like 10 because of women and kids, or, you know, ish. But they're, they're just grinding so much on this journey that they're not, not even fully realizing that Yahweh's walking around on water, but he's also leading them in this most unconventional way. And, and, he's, and he's really unlocking their minds to the possibility of what reality actually is and the abundance of heaven. Um, it's, it's so interesting. I love in the John version, it says, as soon as they willingly received him into the boat... They were at the other side where they were going. And you've heard me do that before, but it's like as, they, as soon as they recognized the Lord who, for who he was, the storm which seemed adverse, which was really actually just steering them in a different direction because that's where they ended up landing was, was uh, to Genesaret. They didn't go to Bethsaida like they had originally planned, but it was very strategic that they didn't. Um, but we'll, not, we'll stop there. But it's like, as soon as they willingly received him, as, as soon as they recognized the storm and the situation, or recon, you know, even like when they recognized, if they would have recognized, that they were in the middle of the desert in a very bad place, like, whoa, we've led these people out to a real sketchy place. It was like, yeah, well, you guys give them something to eat. 
Not like a bully football coach. Well, you do it. All right, you can't. I got to do it for you. You know, it's not this mentality, not this bipolar thing that we, we see God as. It's like he's pulling out of them the capabilities of someone who's led of God, a son and daughter of the king, of what it looks like to walk in this realm above the climates of this realm yeah. and change things. And he's teaching them how to do it. Many believe, is this too much? Oh, man. Many believe, like in 70 AD, when, when the tribulation actually happened, um, or at least a great majority of it, if not the whole thing, when, when, when not one stone was turned upon another. You know, the, Jesus, they, they had forecasted things. When you see the abomination of desolation, they, he had forecasted things that were going to happen when Rome would come and completely destroy, that they would understand that the Christians, it was time for them to get out of Dodge, to run to the hills. And, and, and you know what I mean? So, yeah. So, so Jesus had actually planted in their minds something that was going to happen. And like historians like Josephus say that not one single Christian perished in that. But am I, I seem caffeinated today a little bit, don't I? I know I'm kind of running kind of hot. It was black tea. I did drink some black tea this morning. But, you know, um, these skills, the ability to access the resources of heaven, came in quite handy in those situations my thoughts but so he's teaching these these guys how to live by the wisdom of heaven which actually it it it, it brings to foolishness the wisdom of the world even though the wisdom of heaven looks like foolishness in the world you know he's teaching them the unconventional walk of what it looks like to walk with god it's a beautiful thing just as he was taking egypt out of Israel in the wilderness, he's taken Egypt or the, the mindset of the world, but we have the mind of Christ, right? He's taking that mindset of limitations of this carnal plastic matrix of a world off of his, off of his leaders who were just regular Joes so that they would actually implement the same thing and that we'd fulfill that prayer. We would pray it and we would live it. Father in heaven, Abba, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth the way it is in heaven. You know, the, what's truly apostolic, what's true, true Christianity, implementing heaven's culture into the world with power that endorses its reality. Yeah. And so he's teaching these guys this. I think I will, I will probably start, start there, you know, you know, stop there. Mark 7, you know, he goes and he, he talks to the Pharisees and, you know, it's, I think it's, Two chapters later, he does, he does the same thing again, but with 4,000 people. This time, he deliberately leads them out into the wilderness. It wasn't an accident like they came and found them. He does it, and he really drives the point home. The disciples were still somewhat kind of numb to it in, in, in Mark 8. He says, hey, listen, guys, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? So, well, you, uh, 12. When I broke the seven, remember we only had seven for the 4,000, how many baskets of fragments did we take up? And they said, seven. So, so how, how are y'all not catching on to this thing, man? You know what I mean? Like he started to really drill the reality of this eternal realm that emanated him that he was in. This Jacob's ladder, this portal of heaven, you will see the angels ascending and descending upon me. This reality that, hey, I am the go-between and I am the place where you can access what the world needs in every given situation of your life. We're talking about encouraging words, dude. You know, that is but a but a s small fraction of a starting point.
to the reality of what we're actually called to walk in. This is thousands of years back. You know what I mean? But God is doing the same thing in us as he was doing with them in this crash course. The renewing of mind, you know. Now, 2 Corinthians 10, 5 is like taking every thought captive that exalts itself above the knowledge of God and submitting it to Jesus Christ. Um, this, this mind renewal is the ability to walk by faith and never by fear and navigate the situations of this life. Is there stuff shaking around now? Well, yeah, well, well that's actually very good for us. And why is that? Because, because it means our family who are, who are sleepwalking through life and have been comfort, comfortable Maybe they become a little vulnerable because of life not being built on rock that is eternal. You know? But that doesn't give us the opportunity to condemn or come in sideways. One, for us, it gives us a course correction, like what Paul said, hey, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. It gives us like, hey, if there's shaking in my life, there's, there's aspects of my heart that aren't fully at rest in the peace and the reality of who God is, then that's wonderful. I can have a mindset change, which is what repentance means, and realign into that stuff and walk firmly. But also, people are available, man. People are open, and you have what the world needs. You are the heroes of the earth. Romans 8 says this. It says, all of creation is groaning with longing and expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. That's such a weird, that's another Jedi type of verse, some X-Men or something, but it's like all of creation itself has been subject to futility. It's been subject to the fall. It's been capped, you know? And it's longing for the sons of God to wake up to who they are. Can you imagine that? It's, it's, it's brilliant and it's beautiful, but it's us. It's Christians whose peace and hope rest in God. You know what I mean? It's who, who live by faith. That doesn't mean just, oh, sell all your things and move to another country. Like, no, it doesn't mean that. It means, like, it means actually just seek the Lord and build your life upon His words and His direction. Do you know, like, God wants to give you direction in every aspect of your life? Yeah. It's true. Sometimes it's very practical, and sometimes it's very conventional. And sometimes it is very much not so. Amen. You know what I mean? <laughs> but sometimes it's very wise and looks very foolish. Yeah. There's something, I love this verse, um, Isaiah 25. Now I'm just going to be Bible nerd and just quote a few things just because I like them, right? But speaking of Mount Zion, um, Isaiah 25, verse 6 and 7 and 8, I love this thing right here. It says, The Lord of hosts will make for all people on this mountain a feast of choice pieces. He will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. I, I absolutely love that right there. It's like on this mountain, he will destroy the the surface of the covering cast over all people. How hard do you think they, they took them to translate that? You know? And the veil that's spread over all nations. It's saying like 
There is a cap, man. There is, there is a veil. There has been a separation. Call it the curtain. Call it the, sword, the flaming sword. You know, when Eden was shut off to Adam, like heaven on earth was shut, you know what I'm saying? This is saying that cap, that limitation went over the entire world and over all of humanity. But he's going to do something that tears that veil. You know what that was in his own flesh and actually releases people from that limitation. And it's like we're the ones who actually understand these like these obscure Old Testament prophecies as like this is what Christianity is about. You're going to come alive and you're going to be a light that arises and shines. Because when he was lifted up, that, sh that light, the glory of God was upon him. And it's like, it's going to be upon you. And you're going to live in a way. It's like, we can, be, we can pass out tracts, y'all. You've heard me say this and tell people, you're going to go to hell if you don't join the club. Because God loves you. He loves me. Yeah, but he's going to throw you in that furnace. So join my club. Like, okay, cool. You know what I mean? Like, we can, we can be that backwards bipolar representative of a bipolar pagan God. You know what I mean? Or... We can live outside of the cap, outside of the wisdom of this age, and flourish and thrive in this life, in everything. Yeah. It's always just about money, but I'm talking about like thriving in, like our, in wholeness and in health, in relationships, our marriages, our kids, like our friendships, what the world wants, bad. Everyone's listening to podcasts. You, you know, everyone's listening to podcasts of people talk and they feel like those are their friends and they're in the corner of the room with them. That's why they love them. Because they're like, yeah, me and, me and Mike Tyson talking about the hot box the other day. We were, you know what I mean? It's like, you weren't there. You don't know those guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, whatever. But it's like, uh, the reality is everyone's, the brotherhood, you know, heaven on earth, which is, you know, the Philadelphia of, 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 of revelation like the city of brotherly love you know what I'm saying it's like this this reality is what we're called to walk in above the snake line cap uh, of the world by a different higher wisdom that's not affected by the climates of this earth and people should see us and want what we have you know what I mean we shouldn't have to be like well they're not joining up how can we scare them we'll tell them they're going to die forever and be tortured forever yeah yeah Tell them they're robbing God. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things we can use on people to really get our stuff going. You know what I mean? It's like, no. How about a rise and shine? How about step into the reality fully in wholeness of what he's paid for? Walk in that, and then you'll have to give a defense for the level of hope and light that emanates from you. That's my thought on it, but the point. Hmm. See if this, uh, the point that I wrote, the times are shaky, people are fearful, which means they're open. Look for the opportunities to let out the light, to let the light out, let the light into situations. Redeeming times. So many people have gone before us. We are in the same process, just like the disciples and so many others who follow the Lord, of having our minds renewed from the mindsets of this fallen world so that we will actually do what it says in Colossians 4 5. We will walk in wisdom. It's just like, what do you mean? What about walking in power? It's like, no, that's real, but walk in wisdom, even towards those who are outside. Walk in wisdom as a contrast to those who don't know this way, and you'll be redeeming the time. Time is so precious and valuable for us here. You know? 
we're not waiting on the buffet in the sky. Just, you know, check one, yes or no. I, you know, Jesus is Lord, yes, I'm going to heaven. You know what I mean? It's just like we're called to be the ushers of heaven in the here and now until the whole place looks like heaven. And that's what we're doing. All right. I, I encourage you all, as, I, you know, as always, to connect, spend time in the Bible and connect to the Lord. Because the directions of God often, and, and they can be unconventional, or they can be an incredibly and often insanely practical. I've also found that happening. And it's like, man, when you put your hands or your feet to the things which He's calling you to, it's amazing how the doors open for your life. It's always been this way. Seeking first the kingdom above all things, and all that you need is added. We, we get so tricked into thinking God's who He's not, and chasing after things to make us feel better, instead of zeroing in, locking in on real Christianity, the Lord is my shepherd, I'm going to follow His voice. I'm going to follow His leading. I'm going to follow through on the things that He gives me to follow through, the places He calls me to be or not, or you know, whatever that looks like. You know, and watch the doors come open in the most incredible ways for our life. The divine connections, the appointments, the, the strangers that we have the opportunity to release life to in this world. Maybe we never see them again. But valuing every situation, redeeming time, understanding how precious it actually is because it's going to be like a vapor on the other side of the tracks. But it means a lot in the here.